Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Through the Doric columns that flanked the entrance to her official residence in Scotland for 70 years, the coffin of Her Late Majesty left the Palace of Holyrood House. All eyes are on Britain this week as the period of mourning for Queen Elizabeth II unfolds. Here on Inside the Vatican, Jerry and I will unpack the relationships between the Queen and the five popes during her reign. After that, we turn our sights to Kazakhstan, where Pope Francis is speaking at an international congress of world religious leaders. We'll look at the Pope's message of peace. Your Holiness, I am convinced that your personal participation in tomorrow's gathering will ensure its resounding success and instill a true joy. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. A little cooler than it's been up to now, but that's very good. So, Jerry, for our first story, Queen Elizabeth II died last week on September 8th after 70 years on the throne. She was 96 and she was England's longest reigning monarch. I think most people would think of like the Henry VIII affair when they're thinking about the relationship between the English monarchy and the papacy. But Queen Elizabeth had really cordial relationships with the five popes that she met as queen. I was wondering if you could just give us some background on the queen's relationships with the various popes during her reign. Well, it's very interesting because, first of all, you should remember that before Henry VIII, there was great relations between England and the Holy See. Oh, really? The relations started up again in 1914 during the First World War. And in 1982, there were the full diplomatic relations between Britain and the Holy See. But Queen Elizabeth, she visited Pius XII in 1951. Was this when she was a princess? When she was still a princess before she was queen. Yeah. And then she visited John XXIII in 1961. I don't find meeting with her Paul VI, but I know that she met him when he was cardinal in Milan. Mm -hmm. I think that was perhaps 1961 also. Then she met John Paul II, I think, at least three times, Mm -hmm. starting in 1980, then 1982 when he visited England before he went to Argentina. It was around the time of the conflict between the two countries. Mm, Right. And then in the year 2000, that was the last time she saw him. Mm -hmm. She met Benedict XVI when he went to England in 2010. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because I was on that visit, and I'll tell you more later. Sure. And then she met Francis in 2014, Mm -hmm. almost 100 years from the restoring of relations between Britain and um, the Holy See. Mm -hmm. She met the five popes. Six if you count when she was a princess, right? Yes, one when she was a princess. 
So it shows that she had great respect for the papacy, and uh, the popes obviously had great respect for her. And one of them, Benedict XVI, actually visited her in Holyrood House. That's where she was lying in state yesterday. And you were there for that meeting, right? I was there, and I was very close. Uh, I saw her Benedict arrive at a time when there was a lot of criticism in the British press about Benedict. Mm-hmm. But the relation between him and Queen Elizabeth was very, very cordial. You could see it was it was very relaxed, and uh, mm-hmm. it it was a very good atmosphere. And I think he spent about an hour at the castle. Do you know what popes and queens talk about together? Well, obviously, we don't exactly know because uh, there is no re- recording. There's a translator if needed, and uh, but that's it. And uh, they don't say much. Mm. But it, obviously, it went well because you can tell from the body language. And uh, we saw them meet afterwards for the exchange of gifts. And what about Francis? When Francis was elected, on the day after his election, he met the cardinals. Mm-hmm. And he met the British cardinal, Cormac Murphy O'Connor, who was then over 80 and so had not been inside in the conclave, but had been very active outside. At the end of his meeting with Cardinal Murphy O'Connor, he said, please give my good wishes to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. And this was a little surprising. He was an Argentine Pope uh, saying this. The Cardinal said that immediately afterwards, when he got back to where he was staying in the English College, he phoned the Secretary of the Queen and passed on the greetings. Hmm. So you think that kind of established a a good relationship? Yes. And when they met, they didn't meet in the Apostolic Palace. They met down below in the, what they call the mushroom near near the audience hall in in April. (laughs) What is the mushroom? Is it? Does it look like a mushroom? I got a Google image. This it's a building where where sometimes the Pope has audiences, private audiences also. And the Queen and the Prince Philip arrived, and uh, immediately the you could see there was very very warm feeling between them. Then they had a twenty minute, half an hour private meeting, and then they came into another room where they had the exchange of gifts. And I was in that other room, and I, I saw it was very close up. I saw. The exchange, and I saw Prince Philip offered a bottle of whiskey from Baron Morrill, where she died in, in that estate. He gave it to the Pope? He, he, said, he held it up and said, you know, this is good. There we go. And she, she explained that she, they brought a lot of uh, kind of food, uh, various products from their farm. And she, she explained it to him. But you could see really the body language was really very, very good. The Pope enjoyed the humor and uh, it was very relaxed. When she died, he sent a very, very, very nice message to now King Charles III, and whom he has also met. He, he met Charles and Camilla in April 2017. And Charles has also met before that. He met Benedict XVI in 2009, and he met Charles with Diana, met John Paul II in 1985. So Charles has been to the Vatican a number of times, and when he met Francis, Francis gave him an olive medallion with an olive branch, but also the writing on his writing on the climate change. Mm, which Charles is really into. Yeah, which it seems that Charles discussed this with Francis. Jerry, the British monarch and the Pope are both in this interesting position where they are each a head of state and also a head of a church. The British monarch is the head of the Church of England or the supreme governor of the Church of England. And I wanted to talk about in Queen Elizabeth's reign, 
you know, what she was like as a religious leader. I feel like I haven't heard a lot of discussion about that, but the Anglican church changed quite a lot under her reign. In 1994, they started ordaining women. In 2014, they started allowing women to become bishops. So I was wondering if you could describe or explain to me what the role of the British monarch is as head of the Church of England. Was Elizabeth playing a role in these changes, or is it kind of more of a figurehead role? First of all, it has emerged very clearly, particularly in the Christmas messages which she gave. And uh, it came out very clearly, her own personal faith in in God. Yeah, yeah. And she is, by all accounts, a, a woman of very strong faith. As head of the Church of England in that role, the, the archbishops of Canterbury and the bishops are really selected by the government, but then she is formally the head of the church. And I, I think uh, she was greatly respected by the religious leaders, and not just the Christian leaders, but also the Jewish, the, the Muslim, and the other faiths in Britain, because Britain is a multi-faith country today. And of course, so much has changed, and as you say, also in the Church of England, so much changed. And uh, she has never really commented publicly. Jerry, let me ask you about, you know, looking ahead to the next reign, which has already begun, the, the reign of Charles III. What do you expect to see from Francis's and Charles' relationship? We note that they have this common ground on the environment, but uh, yeah, what, what do you expect to see? Well, I, I think the good cordial relation will, will continue. Uh, as I said, uh, he and Queen Camilla met uh, in April 2017. And uh, again, we don't know much of what went on. We know the exchange of gifts, and Charles was very happy with this writing of the Pope on, on, the, on the environment, Laudato Si. And we know that he discussed this with, with the Pope. We also know that Pope Francis is planning to send a delegation to the Queen's funeral, which is scheduled for next week on September 19th. And Jerry, who, who is coming from the Vatican? This time the Pope has decided to send Archbishop Paul Gallagher, who is British citizen, the first to hold the rank of the equivalent of foreign minister in the Holy See. And that is quite significant. And it's, of course, a, a recognition for how much they esteem the relationship with the Holy See, but also a recognition, I think, of the Pope to Gallagher as well. Right. Archbishop Gallagher will be making his way to London for the funeral with many other heads of state and thousands of mourners. And actually, he'll be traveling there directly from Kazakhstan, where he is with Pope Francis right now. So after the break, we'll talk about that papal visit to Kazakhstan. Stay with us. Pope Francis is traveling to Kazakhstan this week, September 13th through 16th, for the 7th International Congress of the Leaders of World Religions and Traditional Religions. That is, the major world religions, and then those that are more locally specific, so like tribal religions. 
Originally, the Pope's trip had garnered a lot of political buzz. There was talk of the Pope tacking a visit to Ukraine onto this Kazakhstan trip, which now seems unlikely. And the Pope had also hoped to meet with Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill in Kazakhstan, which would have been their first in-person meeting since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And just a refresher, Kirill has been very supportive of the invasion, while Pope Francis has been critical of Kirill's role in that, saying that he shouldn't be Putin's altar boy. So Patriarch Carroll had originally said he would go to Kazakhstan. Now he's pulled out of the trip. So Jerry, with the big political events off the table, what is on the Pope's agenda for this trip? Why is he going? Well, first of all, I'd like to comment on the two non-stories. Sure. Yeah, go for it. The rumor, unfounded, that Francis was going to make a stopover on the return from Kazakhstan to Ukraine was absolutely without foundation. Nobody who seriously understands the question, who understands that even if the Pope visits Ukraine, he can't take a plane of journalists and assistants in with him. He simply, he will have to go fly into perhaps Poland and then go by train. So this was a non-starter, that story. The second one, the it was said that from Kazakhstan, I think the Astana Times reported from government sources that Kirill was coming. You will remember that I think it was in June that the number two of the Patriarchate of Moscow, he visited Francis, he had a long conversation with him. It was very clear then that Francis did not think that it was appropriate to have a conversation, a one-to-one meeting with Kirill. So you don't think this is a deal where Carol said he was coming, then Francis said he was coming, then Carol said, no, I don't want to see him and pull out. I mean, some of the stories that Carol has stood up Francis is, are just not true. So let's talk about what is happening. We have, we have those two non-stories, but what's on the Pope's agenda for this trip? Why is he going? This is a pilgrimage of peace. He's going to give four talks and one homily. On his arrival this evening, he's going to give a talk as he normally does to the authorities, political, civil authorities of the country and the religious authorities. On Wednesday morning, the 14th, he's going to be present and speak at the opening of this Seventh World Congress of leaders of world religions and traditional religions. Wednesday afternoon, that's the the 14th, He's going to celebrate Mass for the small Catholic community in the country. And then on Thursday morning, he's going to speak to the bishops of Central Asia and to the, the priests and religious there. His message to them is, you know, you're a small flock. You're a tiny flock. But being small doesn't mean you're nothing. You can be great. And uh, so it's the mustard seed idea, I think. And then he will close the visit with a talk at the end of the Congress. But in between, I think a lot of people want to have one-to-one meetings with him. So it'll be interesting to see whom he meets. It's quite striking, Colleen, that when John Paul II visited Kazakhstan in 2001, he went there less than two weeks after 9-11. I remember at that stage, uh, it was quite striking because many people were advising John Paul II not to travel 
because it was after 9-11 and nobody knew quite what the situation was. But John Paul II was determined to travel. And on the plane, he was asked about the situation. And there was, at that time, the book by Samuel Huntington on the Clash of Civilizations was, of course, one of the big uh, sellers. Uh, Pope John Paul II made very clear he did not agree with this thesis of the Clash of Civilizations. And I remember he had a meeting with the Muslim leaders in what was then Astana. And it, it was a very important encounter. Now Francis is going at a moment of another conflict, the, the one in the Russian attack on Ukraine. And th th this is certain to come up, in, I think, in his speech to the authorities. Jerry, I want to talk a little about this small Catholic community in Kazakhstan because it's super interesting and it has a fascinating history. So it is 70% Sunni Muslim. And then the sizable Christian minority, around 25%, is largely Orthodox. But the history of the Catholic community there is really interesting. So back in the 17th century, thousands of German Catholics moved to Russia at the invitation of Empress Catherine the Great of Russia, who was German by birth. And then during World War II, Stalin purged Russia of its ethnic minorities, including the Germans, but also Poles and Lithuanians and Greeks and Ukrainians, and deported them to Kazakhstan. And then after the war, the German government offered all the ethnic Germans in Kazakhstan a right to return. So this means that the Catholic community there has shrunk, but at the same time, it's become a lot more diverse. And Jerry, you mentioned you went to Kazakhstan with Pope John Paul II. What was your impression of the Catholic community there? I have two impressions. First of all, you talked about these who were sent by Stalin into Kazakhstan. The country is so flat. You have the steppes, no trees. Uh, I saw it. And it gets so cold. And these people really, many people died. Many died. And many were say, sent in, more or less imprisoned. And th th there was a lot of suffering. So th this church is a church also which has come out of persecution, out of suffering. And w when you see the lands, you say, how could people live there? So flat, not, nowhere to shelter. And then, secondly, this community is small but respected. And I, I was very struck, Colleen, I will tell you, before John Paul II went to Kazakhstan, he went to Syria. And I remember watching him going into the Grand Mosque in Damascus. And I saw the Muslim women throwing flowers on, on him as he went in. Now, when we went to Kazakhstan and the Pope celebrated the Mass, I was very surprised to see so many young people at the Mass. So I went to some of them and I said, where are you from? And they said, we're from the Eurasian University. And I said, you Christian, Catholic? They said, no, no, we're Muslim. And I said, why do you come? And they said, well, we watched the Pope visit our mosque in Damascus, and he respects us, and so we come here to respect him. Oh, wow. Jerry, also on that interreligious front, um, I think one thing that's interesting is that Pope Francis is attending an event that is not put on by the Catholic Church. And my understanding from you is that that's a little unusual. Could you talk about that? Well, I remember the first really big event organized by John Paul II was in 1986 in Assisi, when he invited the leaders of other religions to come to Assisi. And that was a real 
big moment in, in the history of interreligious dialogue. After 9-11, Pope John Paul II again held another event in Assisi, interreligious, in 2002, and many people came. And after that event, this event in Kazakhstan started. And the Vatican, the Pope was invited. They always sent a cardinal. This is the first time the Pope has gone to this. And it's something similar when he went to Cairo to participate in the peace conference at the invitation of the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. It was not the tradition of the papacy to go to events organized by Muslims. Francis's position is very simple. We're all children of God. We've got to live together as brothers and sisters. Religion is meant to promote peace, not hate, not violence, not war. Well, and it seems like the logical end to John Paul II pushing back on the idea of the clash of civilizations, right? The fact that Francis has been working so closely with the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, signing this human fraternity document. They're, they're really partners in peacemaking now in a way that we haven't seen with any past popes. You know, we are seeing in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, this, should I call it evolution of doctrine or evolution of doctrinal practice or pastoral practice? But we're seeing this development. And, and th this goes right across, starting with John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul II, Benedict to some extent, and now Francis very much so. And this is a whole new chapter in the, in the history of the Church that I think historians centuries down will see as, as a major seismic shift in the relations between religions. Jerry, I want to ask you one last question about this trip, which is kind of, it's been the background question for more than a year now, which is about the Pope's health. So we've seen Pope Francis cancel several visits, including his scheduled trip to South Sudan this past summer. Why did he keep this trip on his schedule? He canceled the early ones on the advice of his doctors that he wasn't up to it. His knee has improved considerably. He went to Canada. We saw how he managed quite well in Canada, despite obviously discomfort, some pain, but he managed quite well. The doctors after the Canadian trip said, you have to rest for a month. So for that reason, he did not go to the Ukraine in August. He feels fit. The doctors feel he is able to do it. But obviously, we are working on visit by visit. Francis said on the plane coming back from Canada, it's clear I cannot go at the speed I was going before. I have to do more relaxed visits. And this is a relaxed visit. It's th three days between going and coming, a six-hour journey there, six-hour journey back. He stays in one place. He participates in five events. And he has interpersonal meetings with some of the chiefs. It, it's not a heavy schedule by by his standard. And I, I think we, we have to see how this visit goes. In the Vatican, they're saying, you know, we work from one visit to the next. We see how this one goes, and then we decide if there's another one. Clearly, at the back of everyone's mind right now is, you know, is he going to go to Ukraine and when? We don't know. My understanding is nothing has been decided yet. He wants to go, but there is no decision. They will see how this visit goes and then how the situation is there because there's also big questions of security. All right, Jerry. So you and I will be watching how this visit goes, just like the folks in the Vatican are, although they will be deciding if the Pope makes another visit and when. We, we will not. 
Um, if our listeners want to learn more about the Pope's trip to Kazakhstan and especially the history of the Catholic community there, uh, we have a really good explainer up on America's website. Uh, it's called What Catholics Need to Know About Kazakhstan Before Pope Francis's Visit, and it's by our colleague James Keane. Jerry, thanks for taking some time to talk with me this week. I appreciate it. I appreciate getting your your perspective on on how this this relationship between religions has changed over the last couple of decades. Thank you, Colleen. I think we're in very interesting times and watching what's happening in the Ukraine as well as the Pope is sure to be praying for peace, peace, peace. Inside the Vatican is an America Media podcast. Maggie Van Dorn was our producer this week. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. We had production help this week from Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer for audio and video is Sebastian Gomes. If you want to keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. That does it for this week. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.